William Jessup University is the first and only WASC-accredited, private, four-year Christian university to have its main campus located in the greater Sacramento area, just 25 miles northeast of Sacramento. Jessup's Rockland campus features state-of-the-art classrooms, on-campus housing, and award-winning dining services. The university offers degrees in over 60 academic programs for undergraduate, graduate, and certificate studies. Jessup's School of Professional Studies focuses on serving adult learners in undergraduate and graduate studies at its campuses in Rockland and San Jose. With diverse course offerings covering business, the sciences, theology, the arts, and more, Jessup's programs are designed to see each student equipped and transformed into the leader they are called to be. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Jim Jessup. Hey, Sebastopol Christian Church, it's a joy to be back with you all. Give me a smile. Ah, there you go. Doesn't that feel better when you're smiling? Um, it has been four years. I didn't realize it's been that long. I looked back in my notes. It was 2015 that I was here to share with you last. And so I feel like it's been quite a while. Some of you are saying, yeah, who is this guy? Um, if uh, you're visiting and, uh, or you're fairly new to the church, I uh, just wanted you to know, number one, I'm a guest preacher. If this doesn't go well, come back. I won't be here. Uh, so come back next Sunday. Jim is a great guy. I've gotten to know him. And of course, I know his son fairly well because he lives over near me in the Rockland, uh, Sacramento area. But um, it is uh, just a joy to be with you because you guys have supported San Jose Bible College, which became San Jose Christian College, which then moved 15, 16 years ago to Rockland, California, our main campus, which you see behind me. And... Uh, you have supported us for longer than we've had a computer to keep track. And in fact, we're trying to find the old records, the old paper records to see how long some of our great churches like Sebastopol Christian have actually supported the school because some of you guys go back to your very beginning. And when I say some of you, it's because there's a whole lot of great partners now and you are one of the best. We really appreciate you. Uh, it is such a joy to be able to come and tell you just a little bit about the school. Uh, in fact, I noticed you have in, your, in the front of you, in the pews, there's this little booklet. Now, don't get bored with my message and start looking through the booklet, but if you want to, uh, we're in there, and there's a picture that looks similar to that. This was this year's ramp picture. The one that's in your booklet is a couple years old, and it's so neat to see the ramp continue to grow, the students. We now have over 1,800 students that will be with us this fall. Isn't that awesome? 1,800. Yeah. And you saw in the video a little bit of the campus. You saw a little bit uh, of some of the students walking around. We have been able to continue to expand the majors we offer so that Christians who want to come and study can impact the, the, the society, impact the world in whatever field they're interested in. We have added the arts and entertainment. We have added communications. We have added um, other business degrees and public policy and things like that. It has been really, really fantastic as we train up Christians who want to know God's Word, yet take it into a field in society where they might make an impact and uh, to, to literally change the landscape of eternity. Isn't that awesome? Really cool. And we still have pastoral ministries and youth ministry and, and mission work, and we're putting out more students for church work and for mission work than we ever have because so many of these students who are coming, 
like one young man who I might be able to send to you sometime. His name is Sive. Uh, it's short, he goes, it's a nickname for Sylvester. He's from South Africa. And he has come from South Africa to our business program, but he got over with us, and we realized this young man is quite the preacher. So he's in my preaching club. I've already sent him to a few churches, and it is dynamic to hear him preach and to talk about his background and how he came to the Lord and what he wants to do when he goes back to South Africa. But I had 28 in my preaching club this year, and it was so fun to send them out to other different churches to have them cut their teeth, you could say, and, uh, and work on a sermon and bless the people. So folks, thank you for what you're doing. You are helping a small portion of your tithes and offerings for many years, helping students just like those right there. That's about 1,200 that you see in that picture, 1,100, 1,200 in that picture. The rest are adults who come at night or are studying online. And as Becky mentioned, there's a whole bunch of materials on the table back there. Love to have you grab something, take it with you so you'd know how to pray and what you're praying for and what you're supporting through Sebastopol Christian Church. Um, let's see, I think I have one other picture. Do I have one other picture uh, slide there? Can we move to the next one? You know where that hangs? That hangs in our gymnasium. Not bad, huh? Now, don't be too impressed. There's 130 of those now hanging in our gym. No joke, no joke. Because they gave me the home grandstand wall. I said, this was 15 years ago, I said, okay, let's, let's put the partner churches on the home grandstand wall. It'll take me years to fill all that wall up. I did it. I mean, God did it. And it is so cool. Now you walk in and it's totally full. So if you come to visit us in the next two months or so before school gets started, should you drive by, you won't see that on the wall anymore. You'll have to go into our chapel because we're making brand new little metal plaques for every partner church. And it's gonna be hanging over the doorway we're up to 130. It is so cool what God is doing to help students who want to come and study. And no matter what they study at William Jessup University, what degree track they go after, business, the arts, entertainment, uh, education, uh, 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 psychology, they minor in Bible and theology. So every degree taught by a Christian professor is integrated with God's Word, and they minor in Bible and theology that they might know what God has in store for their life. Sebastopol Christian Church, that's part of what you're doing beyond these walls. Thank you for what you're doing. We are so blessed. Now, do you like to laugh just a little bit? Okay, I don't have anything funny. But, uh, but I hope that you'll find something uh, humorous because you know what? God has created that person sitting next to you. And so he must have had a sense of humor. Amen? Huh? Come on. And the thing is, is that at William Jessup University... Now, some of you didn't like that joke. It's okay. I'm a guest preacher. I won't be here next Sunday. Okay, you all come back. You understand you're supporting education. You're supporting the, the fact that all truth is God's truth. You with me? If it's true, then God brought it into being, you see? And we understand this as truth. Well, it's important that we understand the world around us. There was this guy named Herb, and he called... Uh, 911 and he said quick send an ambulance my wife has broken her hip she's out in the front yard laying on the yard and the 911 operator said we'll send someone right over where do you live and he said well we live at the end of eucalyptus drive and she said can you spell that for me and he said how about i drag her to oak street and you could pick her up there that's a bad joke 
but it's important to know how to spell. Amen? Yeah. And why? Because that's foundational. And as we learn all of the foundational truths at, at, at a college like William Jessup University, it is God's Word that is the, the very essence of what all of the students are learning, that they might carry that into the world to make an impact and make a difference. Well, folks, um, I didn't come just to give you a commercial on the college. I did come to say thank you. I was so glad Jim would ask me. I hope he'll go away again sometime. How about you? Uh, no, don't take that off the video. Uh, but I, I hope that he'll call me again down the road. I'd love to come before the next four years are up. I would love to share with you again to thank you. But you can decide that after I'm done with my little message here in encouraging you, okay? Here's what I've really come to share with you today, and that is this, this little message, and you see it there on the screen, of trusting God with just these two words, even if... You see, and if you'd walk out of here today with those two words, I would count this a successful time. I would count this a glorious time that you would walk out of this place with those two words, even if, even if. I've kind of been working on this message most of my life because it's been a message that I guess I need to preach to remind myself that that's the kind of trust I want. It's the kind of trust I'm going after, even if trust. When my grandfather died in 1992, some of you know the story. Let me tell it quickly. We were preaching together in Morgan Hill, guest preachers, him and my father and I. My grandfather finished his talk. He sat down right side, second, second row. I got up to speak. I got halfway through my talk and my wife yelled out at me, Jim, Jim. There's about this many people in the audience. As I looked down, I think, why is she yelling at me? And I looked down and I realized she was holding on to him. His head had gone back, his mouth open. He had a heart attack. And on April 12, 1992, he died in the church service. I did mouth to mouth. And there was a Boy Scout leader in the audience. He ran forward and he did the compressions and we waited for the ambulance to arrive, but it was time for Grandpa to go home. That was William Jessup. It was a glorious time in reality, hearing his last message, the opportunity for him to hear that what he was trying to pass along had been passed along to at least one person, his grandson. No one has died since while I have been preaching. Okay? Y'all getting so serious you're forgetting to breathe. Keep breathing, okay? Keep breathing. But you see, it was at his memorial service that I actually ran across, before the memorial service, I ran across the story where I found this even if in Scripture. And I talked a little bit about that at his memorial service. I believe my grandfather lived a life of trusting God even if let me tell you where I get these two words we're gonna move quickly okay like King Henry the eighth said to his fourth wife I won't keep you long <laughs> come on that's funny okay bad joke I know some of you just aren't gonna laugh okay there were these three young men in Scripture their names were Hananiah Azariah and Mishael Hananiah Azariah and Mishael anybody know who I'm talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I heard it. You know those names, but many of you don't know the name. They were actually Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Those were Hebrew names that glorified God. Your name has a meaning to it, most likely. Mine does. James, ironically, speaker of truth. Isn't that interesting? Speaker of truth. That's what I'm going to try to do today. Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Those three guys are taken from their homeland by King Nebuchadnezzar. 
King Nebuchadnezzar was in what is what is now today considered modern-day Iraq. Modern-day Iraq. Okay, it's a real place where a real king in history, not just the Bible, really did rule, King Nebuchadnezzar. And he brought these young Hebrew men to his homeland, and he was going to raise them in his ways, his culture, his gods. Many of you know the story. They're brought before the king because they aren't bowing to his god, to his idol that had been erected. They aren't bowing. And they're brought before him, and in Daniel chapter 3, he says to them, let me just paraphrase this, and then you can check up on me if you'd like, but he says to them in Daniel chapter 3, if you don't bow, I'm going to throw you into the furnace. You see, that's the way they got rid of people. It was a simple way to get rid of a person. We, we know death by crucifixion. We read about that in the Bible, beheadings. Uh, putting them on a stake, that's what Nero did, letting them die. Well, Nebuchadnezzar liked to throw them into a furnace. You get rid of the body at the same time that way. There's no disposal problem. Gruesome, terrible. And he looked at these three young men. He said, if you don't bow, I'm going to throw you into the furnace. And one of them looks back at verse 17 of Daniel chapter 3 and says, our God is able to save us, O king. He will rescue us. What a powerful statement. I wish I could have been there. Not one of the three. Amen? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I want to trust God, but hey, if I had the choice, I would not want to be one of those three. I'd love to have been a fly on the wall and watch those three interacting with King Nebuchadnezzar because that would have been a sight to behold. Our God, they say back to the most powerful man in the region, our God is able to save us, O King. He will rescue us. Here's the kicker. Verse 18 of Daniel chapter 3, they say, but even if. And I'd read that story many times, and maybe you have too, but I hope you'll catch it this morning. But even if he does not rescue us, we will not bow. Wow. That's the kind of trust I want. Now, do you think, though, sometimes we might say, oh, yeah, but come on, maybe they were just saving face. They were saving face. In other words, they didn't want to look really stupid while they're burning up in the furnace. Here, they're already dying. Why look stupid at the same time? Maybe God couldn't save them because Nebuchadnezzar is pretty powerful. So they say, hey, but whatever, if there is no God, is that what they meant? If there is no God, he, can't, you know, he won't save us. We're still not going to bow to you because we're just going to be against what you want us to do. Or did they say, but even if he does not, did they say that because they accepted the sovereignty of God in their lives? Do you understand what it is, the sovereignty of God? The sovereignty of God simply means God can do whatever he wants. He is the creator. We are the creation. You understand that God is not out for your, to, to, to hurt you. God is not out to put you down, to have you thrown into a furnace. He is there to be with you. He wants what's good for you. But to accept the sovereignty of God says you will accept whatever happens to you. And that's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, decided they would do. They would accept the sovereignty of God. Now. Do you understand that in Revelation it says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess? Do you understand that that is every knee? Someday at judgment, every knee, every tongue will confess? Not just those who believed. Because at the judgment, everyone will come to understand there really is a God. And every tongue will confess. 
Because then they'll understand the sovereignty. It's up to you today to decide if you want to choose it. Are, are, are you with me? Am I going too fast? Is it too early? Is this coming out in Spanish? Give me a nod. You see, you have the opportunity today to choose to accept the sovereignty of God and to say, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. And so I'll step into it. Whatever happens, I will not bow to the world even if. Are you with me? You see, that's the kind of trust I want to have. God, I want to trust you even if. And I'm going to do the best that I can as I walk out of this church today. To trust in my God even if. You know what the alternative is? The alternative is you can trust God only if. Only if. And let me just be bold enough to say, and I'm a guest preacher. Again, you don't have to have me back. But let me be bold enough to say there's probably some in this room today who, if you were honest with yourself, maybe you're trusting God only if. Only if it works out with your spouse can you trust in God. Only if this church keeps doing things the way you think they should. Only if the doctor's report is not cancer. Only if my kids turn out okay. Are you in any of those? Too easily we as Christ followers can look at God and begin to say, God, I could have trusted you only if you'd have done this. If only you hadn't done that. Only if you would do it this way. Only if you would listen to me, God, because I know what's best for my life. <laughs> Isn't that comical? And yet, you may not have said it audibly, and yet, many of us, we think it. And we trust God only if, instead of even if. Accepting the sovereignty of God in our lives and saying, God, whatever should happen, I will trust you even if. You see, I think we learn this only if trust. The problem is when we're young. My son, he's now 28. He's going to give me a grandson in one month. The end of July, him and his bride, uh, they, uh, and uh, it's awesome. And it's a little boy. I am so excited. That'll be my third grandson, though. My daughter has two, and that's awesome, too. But boy, they're rambunctious, aren't they? At five and three. Anyways, that's why I have no hair left. Uh, I. I, I, when he was like three years old, Curtis, my son, he was like three years old. My daughter was about five. We went to Discovery Zone in San Jose. We were living in San Jose at the time. I was a pastor at a little church, Almaden Valley Christian Church. And we went to Discovery Zone. It's a place where you can go and play in the, the slides and the balls, like a big McDonald's playland. Okay, you've seen those, right? And the parents get to go in too. We're having a great time, just playing around. Then I pick my little guy up, my boy. We're ready to leave. I put him on my lap. I grab his little stocking foot. And I pull it way up by his ear, because they're flexible at that age, right? As I'm trying to put that little shoe on. I'm trying to work that shoe on, his, curling his toes. Come on, moms, you know what I'm talking about, right? And I can't get the shoe on. We're laughing. He's giggling. We're having a great time together. And something happened. I just spread my legs a little too far apart accidentally. And I didn't have a good grip. And I dropped him on his head. And I had nothing but a shoe left. And I look down, and he's laying on the ground. He's not crying. He's not laughing anymore. He's laying there. His mouth is wide open. His eyes are huge. And he's looking at me, and I want to pick him up. I want to hold him. I want to say, Curtis, buddy, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean for that to happen. And you know what he did? He ran to mom. <laughs> ah, 
And you know what he learned in that instance? He learned daddies make mistakes. And as we were driving home, and I'm looking in the rearview mirror, I see him in the back seat scowling at me because I dropped him on his head. Yeah, I got to thinking to myself, how much is that like me? How much is that like me, that little kid in the back seat? Everything is going really good. You with me? You, you understand your job is good, your health is good, your relationships are good, you're loving what's happening at the church. You're like, this is awesome. Life is good. And then you get dropped on your head. What do I mean? You get that pink slip at work. And they're downsizing your, your division. You get that note from the doctor that says, you need to come see me. It's not good. You find out a best friend is leaving, or you find out your spouse is no longer interested in you. You get dropped on your head. The question is, who do you run to? Will you trust in those times, even if, or will you trust, no, God, only if it goes right. Only if, only if it goes the way I think it should. Only if it goes my way. Can I trust in you, Lord? You trust God only if or? Good, okay, three of you. You're catching on. Here we go. We only got about 15 more minutes. I hope you'll get with me. You don't trust God only if. You trust him? Yeah. Oh, you guys are good. Amen. Now, here's the problem. Here's what happens. This is, in my life, I believe similar to yours, okay? Because we're really not all that much different. You see, we're uniquely created by God, but our circumstances, the life we're going through, there's a lot of similarities. And I don't know about you, but I draw a line every once in a while in my faith, and I say, you know, God, I believe you could get me this far. I'm not sure you can get me over here. Let me tell you what I mean. Oh, Lord, I believe enough, you know, to come to this church and throw in my 10% and to pray. And, but, like, help with the junior hires? Ooh, I don't think I believe that much, Lord. <laughs> that was supposed to be funny. No? Okay. I, I believe you, Lord. I believe you, Lord. But actually to, like, tell my neighbor that I'm a part of this church, oh, I don't know if I have that much faith. I don't know if I trust you that much. You see, we draw these lines, even though we may not physically draw them. There's places where we say, I'm not sure I can really take that step and trust him. There was this guy in Mark 9.24. This is a just quickie before uh, we move on to one story, and then I'm done. In, in, in Mark 9.24, it's not on the PowerPoint or in your notes. There was this man who had this little boy, and he would have these seizures. And he would roll into fire. He'd roll into water. He, 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 the father was beside himself. He, How do I help my boy? And Jesus comes along, and he says, Jesus, can you heal him? And Jesus says... Do you believe I can heal him? And the man in Mark 9, 24, he rightly says something you've probably said. It's what I've said. Maybe not with your mouth, but you've said it in your heart. He says to Jesus, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Wow. You with me? I believe, he says, help me overcome my unbelief. You know what he's saying? I'm drawing a line, Jesus, and I'm just not sure I can get past that line. Some of you, folks, can I just be a friend for a minute and just challenge you? Maybe you've drawn a line, and that line's been there a long time, and you've just decided you cannot step over it. Let me use a little different analogy with a boat, and we'll wrap this up. 
The boat was because of Peter. And the story you've maybe heard, it's in Matthew chapter 14. Let me read the story to you really quick and give you three quick things. Matthew chapter 14, if you have your Bibles want to follow along, you can, but let me paraphrase it for you, uh, paraphrase what happens and then I'll read it. Jesus had fed the 5,000. He was tired. He's going to want to go up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And so at verse 22, it says this. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. This was at the Sea of Galilee, by the way. While he dismissed the crowd, verse 23. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land. It was buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. That was very early in the morning, still dark. Probably some moonlight, starlight. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Well, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come here, he said. Peter got down out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Wow, what a story. Can I take you there for just the next few minutes? I want to take you there. I want you to go with me. You see, it's important when you read Scripture, when you read stories like this, to try in your mind's eye to picture what it had been like to have been there. You understand that if you picture yourself there, then maybe you'll picture yourself at your job or at your place where you are hanging out with friends or, hello, or whatever happens, uh, even if, whatever happens, wherever you are, you won't picture yourself doing what God's calling you to do if you don't picture yourself in the stories in which he's given you. And he's given us a great one here. Now to get you there, what did it look like if you were floating in that boat with the disciples and you saw Jesus standing on the water? Was he bobbing up and down? Come on, are you with me? Have you thought about it? It says the wind and the waves were against the boat, so Jesus was walking on the water. Was he bobbing up and down like this because the water was rough? Was he standing firm? The water was firm. It was brushing against his ankles. His knees were getting wet maybe even. And yet he stood firm on the water. You ever thought about it? It's not real deep for your walk with the Lord possibly, but I want you to go there and be there with me. See, we discuss very deep theological things in some of the courses at William Jessup University, like did Adam, the first guy in the Bible, did he have, did he have a belly button? <laughs> oh, work on that one a while, huh? Okay. Well, anyways, all right. So he's bobbing up and down. He's standing firm. We're not sure. But Peter does an amazing thing. And it's number one there in your outline. He called out to Jesus. He called out to Jesus. You see, I don't know how many of you, most of you here, maybe you've been a part of this church for years. But maybe there's a few who are yet to ever say, you know, I don't think I've ever really called out to Jesus. Said, Jesus, it, are you there? Is it you? 
Revelation 3.20 says, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. The door of your heart, I'm knocking. Have you called out? Jesus, is that you? Is it you? And I don't know how you would hear his voice. I have had some Christians tell me they have heard God's voice. Now, I have never heard God's voice audibly. If you have heard God's voice audibly, I would never take that from you. I would say, praise the Lord, you hold on to that. However, check it with Scripture. Amen? Oh, yeah. If you hear something and you think it could be God, you look in the Scripture and say, does it match? And then you talk to other people whom you respect who know God's Word, and you say, what do you think? Does it match? But I will tell you how I have heard God's word, and that is I've heard it when I've been a group of small, a small group of Christians, and someone has read something out of Scripture, and I just never really looked at it a certain way. Maybe like this verse of even if this morning for you. And I've had Christians pray in a small group, and I've thought to myself, wow, I needed that prayer. That was powerful. That was exactly what I was feeling in my heart as well. That must have been from God. You see, I don't know how you'll hear God's voice, but maybe, maybe just today you need to call to him so that you can step out of the boat of only if trust. You with me? Here's the analogy. You're in the boat with me right now. The question is, will we step out of the boat of only if trust and trust God? Even. Even, oh, you guys are good. Thank you. Where you go, Gene? That was you, wasn't it, brother? Okay. I like that hearty even if. You see, because we're going to stay in the boat? Are we going to stay there? You call to Jesus and see if you don't hear him answer. So what do you do? What did Peter do, second part there? You take a step. You take a step towards Jesus. Now think about this for a minute, what this must have been like. Peter was a fisherman. He'd been in the boat most of his life. And he knew if he was going to get out of the boat, he was going to do what? He's going to swim, right, or sink if he didn't know how to swim. I would think, and I, 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 I just got to think, somebody, one of the other disciples, had to have been reaching over and poking at the water. Come on, really. I'm not, I'm not trying to make light of Scripture. I'm trying to tell you what a human being would do. If I was in the boat, I think the first thing I would have said is, Lord, if it's you, would you call Matthew to come to you? <laughs> Matthew, buddy, if you make it, I'm right behind you, you know? Uh, because I, I just, I don't know, this is not right. We should, we should not be able to walk on the water. I think I would have been poking at it. I would have been wondering, is it soft? Are you with me? Is it slick like ice? Am I going to bob up and down on the rollers as they come towards the boat? Or is it going to go firm right towards Jesus? What's important is, will I take the step? What's important is, will you take the step? And you know what else? Here's the cool part about this whole stepping out of the boat. If you hear his voice and you want to take the step, know this, you're not the first one out of the boat. In this church, I know you could look across the row and there's somebody who lost their spouse. But they're trusting God, even if. There's someone in this church who's lost a child and uh, they're holding on to God, even if. There's somebody who lost their job. Somebody who's lost somebody they love. But they're going to hold on to God, even if. So you're not the first one out of the boat. The question is, will you be the next? 
Will you say to God, you know what, God, I kind of just like floating in the boat. <laughs> and uh, this is safer. Or would you say, Lord, I want to hear from you. And then I'm going to take a step. When I hear your voice, however that happens, I'm going to take a step. Third and last, what happened to Peter? Man, we've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. You've got to keep your eyes on him. Do you understand what happened there in Scripture? It says Peter was walking on this water, and it says when he saw the wind and the waves around him, he began to sink. Well, what does it mean that he saw the wind and the waves, but that he took his eyes off of Jesus? You with me? Amen? You see, we're not chameleons, and yet we, we believe that we can focus on two things in life. And Jesus knew that, that we believed we could do that. When Jesus said to us, you cannot serve what? Two masters that's right you cannot serve two masters you'll either love one and hate the other or be devoted to one and despise the other but you cannot serve the world and God or mammon and God or money and God however you want to interpret it he said you can't do it because you'll love one and hate the other devoted to one despise the other Peter started looking at the wind and the waves you know what the wind and the waves is in my life the wind and the waves in my life I just be honest with you and transparent, it's stuff. There's no better way to say it than stuff. Yeah. It's when you're driving home and you see your roof is an old wooden shake roof and you know you've got to change that out because it's going to leak this winter. So you start worrying about it and fixating, how am I going to pay for that? What, i, I got to get that done. You hop in your car, your tires are getting a little bit bald. You say, oh man, we've got to get new tires on that thing. How are we going to do that? Your kids are involved in all kinds of stuff. You go, how are we going to make this work in the schedule? All the stuff... You begin to focus on in life and you take your eyes off of what you really need and you know what happens you begin to sink and you don't even feel it at first but you're sinking and I believe it was slow for Peter it had to be slow right because in Scripture it says he got out that whole line Lord save me <laughs> right if he jumped in a pool it would have been Lord boom. so he's slowly Lord save me and says, so Jesus reached out his hand, and what was that like? People, are you with me? Come on, just a couple more minutes. Hang with me. What was that like? He was all wet, what, up to his belly button, up to his chest, and he comes back up out of the water, and it's firm again? I know there may be a few skeptics here in this church right now saying, I, I just don't know I can buy this whole walking on the water stuff. Hey, you know what? I'm telling you about a God who created the heavens and the earth. If he wanted to teach a man a lesson, by letting him walk on the water for a little bit and then having him sink for a little bit and then bringing him back up out of the water for a little bit, I think he could do it. And I believe it. He brings him back up out of that water. Don't you know that Peter then was looking right at Jesus, man? Oh, I'm going to keep my eyes on this guy. And they get back into the boat, right? You know? I mean, he was going to stare right at him. Why? Because he was sinking. He was going to drown. He was going to die. Those big rollers are coming at him. We keep our eyes on Jesus instead of all the stuff that comes our way in life. And I believe he'll be there for you as he was for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You see, let me finish that story for some of you who haven't read it for a long time. Let's go back to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They didn't bow. So they're bound with their hands and feet. They're bound. And the guards take them 
And the king is so mad. He says, I want the furnace heated seven times hotter than normal. Now, how we have no idea how they would be able to register that except for the fact they probably just threw in seven times the amount of wood into this furnace is my guess. It was hot. Picture an igloo style with brick, okay? This is what many archaeologists believe it might have been like because it says they threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego down into the furnace. They threw them down into the furnace, which means quite possibly they walked up on the outside of this igloo to drop them in the hole where all the smoke would come out and around the igloo of bricks, you see, were the holes where they could throw in more wood. But you're not gonna be able to get a body, a live body, into one of those holes far enough, deep enough that he couldn't crawl possibly to get back out. You'd be trying to keep him in there. Are you with it? It's gruesome, but I'm trying to help you understand. I want you to be there. These guards die from the heat, Scripture says. They die from the heat. It is so hot. But they know if they don't drop them in, the king will kill them. So they drop them in, and here's the coolest part. Church, if this doesn't get you just a little bit excited, go have a donut before you leave here. Get some sugar in your blood. Get a little bit excited about the fact that God wants to walk with you through times like this. Because the king, it says he looks into the furnace, probably from 10, 15 feet away. He looks into the furnace and he says, hey, to the chief guard, hey, come here. Did we not throw in three? Well, this is good. This is good. Did we not throw in three? And the chief guard says, oh, yes, okay, we, we threw in three. Then why do I see four? And one looks like the son of the gods, King Nebuchadnezzar says. He doesn't know who God was. Here's what's so cool. Guys, quick theology lesson. In Genesis, it says, God said, let us make man in our image. That's very significant, by the way, that God would say, let us make man in our in our image. It's one of the reasons why this church, the theology of Scripture, what I believe, what you believe, is that there's a three-in-one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You with me? That Jesus was in the beginning with God. That's what it says in John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. That was, Jesus. that was Jesus. Hang with me here. Jesus, some theologians say, was pre-incarnate. In other words, before he was born, he appeared in that furnace. That could have been. Could have also just been an angel. But whatever it was, God said, I'm going to walk with these three. And there he was in the furnace with those three young men, just like he wants to be in the furnace with you. Will you trust God even if, not only if, not only if it goes the way you think it should, but even if it's painful at times, even if you don't understand the outcome, even if you don't know why God would put you through what he's putting you through now, I pray you would trust him, even if. There's a little story about a little boy who would go to fly his kite. He took three rolls of string with him. He went across the street from his house, and uh, his mama let him go across. He said, you stay right over there where I can see you. And he said, okay, mom, I will. He'd sit on the park bench, and he let out the first roll of string with his kite. He grabbed a second roll. He tied it on. He let that roll out. That kite is so high up into the sky, you can't hardly even see it. He ties a third roll of string on, and now, as he's letting it out, the kite disappears into the fog, into the low clouds, and all you can see is this string drifting up into the heavens and disappear. And this old man comes walking along, and he sees the kid, and he thinks, well, that's interesting. And what, what are you doing, young man? He says, well, mister, I'm flying my kite. 
And the old man looks up into the sky and he says, no, son, there's nothing up there. I think you're wrong. And the little boy says, no, mister, it's my kite. I I put it up there. I'm flying my kite. And the old man looks again. He says, son, I I think you're mistaken. I don't think there's anything on the end of that string. And the little boy, he frowns a little bit and he looks at the old man and he rightly says, hey, mister, take hold of the string and you can feel it pull. If you come back, to this church. I believe that's what your pastor Jim is trying to do. He's flying his kite every Sunday. Now you come in next Sunday and you just picture him standing up here flying a kite. And he's trying to say, just take hold of this idea. Take hold of this truth. Take hold of this and you'll see. Maybe you'll feel it pull. I pray you would trust God, not only if, but even if. May God bless you. Father, thank you for the opportunity for me to share this simple truth and yet so difficult for me to, walk, to, to live out and to walk. Father, I know uh, it, it takes great faith, something I'm still learning, striving after, to be able to trust you even if things don't go my way, even if they don't go the way I think they should. But, oh God, I pray that you'd put into the hearts of each one of these here just that idea and those two words as they leave this place that maybe they would step out of the boat of only if trust that they would say you know what I'm kind of done floating around and trusting God only if it goes my way or only if it's what I need or want I'm ready to trust God even if I pray oh God they'd take a step that they'd keep their eyes on you as the storms come we know oh Lord you'll walk with us even if we end up in a furnace Thanks, Father, for uh, the joy it has been for me to share with my brothers and sisters today. In the inadequacy of my words, I pray that two or three here were encouraged by what they heard through your Holy Spirit, not just through my mouth. Father, thank you for uh, your word. We pray it does not return void. We pray that it will be powerful as we live it out. In your Son's name, amen. Amen.